Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. Hey, it's Jesse Waters from Fox News Channel. Hope to see you at my Ag Night on November 2nd. It's going to be a night you will not want to miss. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture, a better way where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humix Solutions with a Human Touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. The Haas Avocado Board is excited to share the findings of its recent study on the impact of bagged avocados on avocado category trends, shedding light on the shifts in the avocado category's retail landscape over the past four years. The new bagged avocado sales driver study analyzes retail sales and household panel data to uncover the underlying sales trends and purchase behaviors, driving the growth of bagged avocados and their impact on the industry. The insights can provide a basis for industry stakeholders to refine their marketing strategies and messaging for bagged avocados, which can create greater shopping engagement within the avocado category. During the start of the pandemic in 2020, following a strong performance in 2019, the avocado category experienced a significant 21% spike in retail unit volume, accompanied by an 8% increase in retail dollars. However, following a strong bump during the pandemic, 2021 saw a minor decline at 5% in unit volume, while dollars were relatively flat. The trend continued into 2022, when the industry was met with rising inflationary pressure and volume dipped an additional 8%. With rising inflation, the category saw higher prices, which fueled greater dollar sales for both bulk and bagged avocados. Among the contributing factors to these market dynamics, the rise of bagged avocado sales has played a pivotal role. Bagged avocados have been on a steady growth trajectory before 2020, but experienced a significant boost in both volume and dollar sales in 2020 and 2021. These results translated into a larger share of the overall avocado category sales over the period. As bagged avocados continue to capture industry attention, the avocado category experienced a surge in the distribution of established and new packaging options. Small four and five count bags together accounted for over half of retail sales for bagged avocados. These sizes also saw notable increases in distribution with a growth of six and three percentage points respectively. Meanwhile, the introduction of small seven count bags made a substantial impact on sales growth. Distribution of small seven count bags more than doubled and were available in nearly 5% of all stores in 2022. This relatively new package size demonstrated remarkable performance with a unit sales velocity that was 55% higher than the next top performer. The report also revealed changes in shopper purchase behaviors. While some shopper groups experienced declines in purchase behavior, the overall trend was positive. In 2022, the number of moderate and heavy shoppers that purchased bags declined as well as trips per household within these segments. However, spend per trip increased for all shopper groups. Ultra shoppers continue to purchase bagged avocados and were responsible for driving 64% of the growth in purchases. These trends emphasize the resilience of bagged avocados in the face of market fluctuations. Bagged avocados not only offer convenience to consumers, but also represent a significant growth opportunity for retailers and marketers alike. The study is based on retail sales and household purchase data from Circana. 
Fresno County's annual crop report is in. The county continues to reach new heights with the total value of its agricultural production. While Fresno County had a record-breaking year in 2022, the overall growth was very slight. Fresno County saw its place as top ag-producing county claimed by Tulare County. Fresno County's total gross production last year came in at $8,095,546. That marked an increase of nearly $10 million from 2021, or a 0.12% gain. The report covered 180 83 different crops, including 77, which had a gross value of over $1 million last year. Grapes took the top spot for the first time since 2012, coming in at a total value of $1.24 billion in 2022. Almonds, the leading crop in 2021, fell one spot with a value of $1.14 billion. Pistachios, milk, and poultry rounded out the top five. Fruits and nuts made up a majority of Fresno County's crops last year, coming in at 55.86% of all products produced. Vegetables ranked second at 15.33%, followed by livestock and poultry at 13.07%. Milk was at 8.09%, and field crops at 4.61%. Overall, Fresno County delivered its agricultural products to 90 different countries. Almonds were the top exported product, with 4,200 shipments. Peaches placed second at 2,100 shipments, followed by oranges with 1,300 shipments. Grapes were just under 1,200 shipments and raisins at almost 1,000 shipments. The first production forecasts are in for the 2023 to 24 orange season. So what do the numbers look like for the country and major growing states? USDA Ag News reporter Rod Bain. It is the first U.S. orange production forecast for the new marketing year with information gathered on bearing trees, average fruit per tree, and size and drop data within USDA citrus objective surveys. Mark Hudson of the National Agricultural Statistics Service says for the breakdown... For non-Valencia oranges for Florida, it's 7.5 million, and for California, it's 37 million of non-Valencias. Texas is 450,000 boxes. The U.S. is 44,950,000. While for Valencia oranges, Florida is 13 million boxes, California 7.5 million boxes, Texas 350,000 boxes, and United States 20,850,000 boxes. All oranges, Florida is 20.5 million, California is 44.5 million, Texas is 800,000, United States 65,800,000. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. California State Water Resources Control Board has set an April hearing to consider whether the Tulare Lake subbasin should be placed on probation. This marks the first instance of such a move by the state, signaling a significant shift in groundwater management. If placed on probation, large farms in the area might be required to report their groundwater usage and pay fees, a move aimed at tackling the state's persistent issues with overpumping and land subsidence. Years of drought and excessive groundwater pumping have resulted in rural residents' wells running dry and land subsidence in some communities. The San Joaquin Valley, known for its agriculture with crops like cotton, almonds, and pistachios, has been particularly affected. The situation could worsen without immediate revisions to the local groundwater plan. Natalie Stork, an official at the State Water Resources Control Board, emphasized the urgency of the situation, highlighting the adverse impacts resulting from continued overdraft in these basins. With a reliance on groundwater for drinking water and agricultural irrigation, especially during droughts, many communities are finding themselves at risk. In 2014, California enacted a law that tasked communities with forming groundwater agencies and devising sustainable management plans. These plans were to focus on the most critically overdrafted 
basins, including the Tulare Lake Subbasin. In this case, five groundwater agencies collaborated to create a plan for the subbasin. However, the plan, along with five others, was deemed inadequate by California's Department of Water Resources. Now, the State Water Resources Control Board will conduct a hearing in April to decide the fate of the Tulare Lake Subbasin. If placed on probation, it will necessitate large groundwater users to report their usage and pay fees, while local agencies work on developing a more comprehensive plan for the basin. Failure to meet this requirement could result in the board implementing its own plan. California has long experienced cycles of wet and dry periods, but scientists from the University of California have raised concerns about climate change exasperating the issue. They anticipate a future with drier years and wetter wet years, making sustainable groundwater management an even more critical endeavor, according to the scientists. Santa Clara County is participating in a pilot program funded by the state of California that provides financial incentives for low-income residents to buy more fresh fruits and vegetables. The California Fruit and Vegetable EBT pilot project, which officially launched in Santa Clara County, refunds CalFresh food recipients up to $60 a month when they buy fruits and vegetables from participating stores. The goal of the program is to make it easier for families who use CalFresh food, the state's version of the Federal Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, to afford healthy food while also supporting California agriculture. The pilot project is taking place in nearly a dozen counties throughout California. There are five Santa Clara County stores participating in a program called the California Fruit and Vegetable EBT Pilot Project, which is supported in the Bay Area by the San Francisco Bay Area Planning and Urban Research Association, which is a nonprofit public policy organization. As for how the pilot project works, when CalFresh food recipients shop at participating stores, they get up to $60 of the amount they spend on produce refunded to their EBT card per month. The money that's refunded can then be used on any food item that is eligible for purchase with a CalFresh food EBT card. The pilot project was established by the state legislature in 2018, and the project has received nearly $20 million in state funding so far. For more information on participating stores and on the pilot itself, visit the California Department of Social Services website. California Attorney General Rob Bonta said that his office was concerned about Kroger's proposal deal to buy rival Albertsons for $24.5 billion and may sue to stop it. Bonta said the decision has not been made, but added that right now there's a lot of reason to not sue. Bonta cited as concerns the prospect of higher prices for consumers, lower payments to California farmers, the potential for creating food deserts, and possible adverse impacts on workers. The deal announced in October of 2022 would create a grocery with nearly 5,000 stores. In September, the companies announced a plan to sell more than 400 grocery stores to CNS Wholesale Grocers in an effort to get regulatory approval for the deal. A Kroger spokesperson said that only non-unionized retailers like Walmart and Amazon will benefit if the merger is blocked. Join us for an unforgettable evening with Jesse Waters, co-host of Fox News at the International Agri-Center in Tulare, California. Tickets are extremely limited for this one-night-only experience, and they will sell out. Hey, it's Jesse Waters from Fox News Channel. Hope to see you at my Ag Night on November 2nd. It's going to be a night you will not want to miss. Don't miss your only chance to see Jesse Waters here in the heart of California on November 2nd. Reserve your spot now at myaglife.com forward slash myagnight. We're back with another walnut industry update from the California Walnut Board and Commission with CEO Robert Verloop, and things are looking good for the crop on the grower side now that industry is in the middle of harvest. 
Verloop said the crop is coming in as expected and that the quality is quote phenomenal due in part to healthy amounts of rain and optimal growing temperatures. Very light and light color uh, as high as 95 to 97 percent. Uh, which is remarkable. The average for Chandler variety uh, would be more in the high 80s. Uh, obviously, last year with the sunburning issue, we didn't have that. But this year, we're, we've totally turned it around. Mother Nature's been very kind with us, starting with the rains in the in the uh, wintertime last year and just ideal growing weather. Um, even all, you know some of the heritage varieties that uh, are early starters you know, reported some really good numbers. So uh, our growers in the south that have some of these early varieties were able to get in very quickly, get their crop in um, into the handlers and processors. Uh, we've seen that now up in north as well. Uh, again, the chandlers are the predominant variety that, that's being harvested at the moment. Um, so we're, we're very optimistic from a quality perspective. The market has been slow to respond. Uh, in some markets, they're still waiting to see that this year's crop is back to what we traditionally would be delivering. And, and obviously we feel very confident that that's the case. Um, we had a, uh, a low carry out or carry in, depending on how you want to look at it, of unsold product, 60,000 tons, uh, unsold walnuts from uh, 2022 season uh, coming into this year. So, um, and not necessarily all of that is export quality. So some of that will stay domestically. Um, and uh, what is coming off right now uh, really will be excellent, excellent quality for the export markets. And once they start to see it, I think they'll uh, start to accelerate their buying. Uh, purchasing has been a little bit slow. I think there's been some hesitation in the marketplace, both from an e economic standpoint uh, on the destination markets. There's still a lot of things going on. Obviously, you know, the war in Ukraine affected us uh, for a long time here. But now what's going on in Israel equally is uh, is concerning for a lot of reasons and how that will uh, interrupt and disturb uh, trade is yet to be seen. But, um, you know, those things aside, um, I think buyers are prepared to start issuing purchasing orders. Uh, we already saw a doubling in the amount of tons committed um, from August 31st to September 31st. So we went to 125,000 I'm sorry, 125 million pounds that um, is now uh, committed at the end of September. So you know, the, the movement is starting to, at least the purchase orders are starting to come. Last week, uh, a lot of our industry was at Anuga in Germany, and which is a, a very large trade event for food manufacturing ingredients and fresh clientele. And the response there was very positive. I've talked to several handlers that say they, they get the sense that the industry is putting forward a, a very good, strong, unified voice, um, holding tight on pricing expectations, um, much higher than where we were last year. Of course, there'll be some settling out uh, that will happen over the next couple of weeks and so on. But um, the industry is very committed, uh, I, at least in conversations I've had. It's clear that they're very committed to try to hold a steady price for the season. Um, one of the things that hurts pricing is if you start out high and then you go to a lower price in the next couple of weeks, then uh, the people that bought at the high price feel like they were taken advantage of. And so we don't want to do that. Um, we want them to buy with confidence and uh, by and large, I'm seeing that already in the market. It's good to hear that some of the extra walnut tonnage is being addressed, but what are the ramifications of having this much unsold product to begin with? 
Verloop said it's going to affect acreage in the state and older, lesser grown varieties are going to get phased out. What we have seen is in 2022 and 23, we saw a removal of roughly 34, 35,000 acres. And, and I would venture to guess that a vast majority of them fall into the categories that I just described. Um, I do know that a lot of those were heritage varieties that no longer demand the, the high prices that uh, they may have uh, even 10 years ago. Um, the industry, you know, the buying community is is more and more in demand of Chandler. It's a lighter color. Um, I, I would say based on my year and a half that I've been here now, it's a bit lighter in flavor, um, but that's what the markets want and that's what they're paying for. So um, it's a, an unfortunate trend that we're seeing, but it is something that we can't uh, fully changed right now. We're working on some things to make it uh, ch change that in the future, but at the moment, that's where we are. We suspect you know, our, our acreage data, which uh, we collected, we developed a, a program with Land IQ, and we were able to um, demonstrate the acres that have been removed, also those that are distressed or abandoned. Um, and we'll have a final report that uh, will, is based on data collected through the end of September of 23, so a month old. We'll have that information within the next couple of weeks here, and that will give us a really strong picture of our acreage base. And then um, we just do some, you know, calisthenics on uh, to try and figure out what does that mean to the overall crop. Um, as you may have seen earlier this month, we were able to work with USDA Land IQ to update the acreage number for the uh, for the state, bring that down to 365, 366. Um, from a high of, uh, th this is producing acres, from a high of uh, 400,000 acres. So we've seen some decline already and expect that that will continue. The industry is looking at a voluntary tree pole program, but I have to issue caution with that. That is a long ways off from being uh, a program that people can rely on. It's going to re require um, some programmatic changes with uh, USDA, some funding, um, and the commission is still in the process of trying to evaluate that from an economic impact. Um, without doubt, the, the industry has grown very quickly. Uh, markets haven't responded as quickly. And if you do the math, you know, 10 years ago, um, we were looking at, uh, or even less than 10 years ago, we were looking at expanded marketplace, both for China as a destination and India. Obviously, we know what's happened in China. There's no sales going into there. India just recently uh, reduced their 20% uh, retaliatory uh, tariffs. We're still at 100% tariff now, and we're working hard to try to reduce that. If we can get that reduced uh, and continue to get more product flowing in there, um, that could be uh, you know, on the low side, four, four, 40,000 tons. And on the high side, some people predict it could be even as much as 100 to 140,000 tons uh, that India could absorb. Um, very quickly if we can get some of these trade barriers uh, further reduced. So they're, they're, we're working on both sides of the equation, uh, on the production side as well as on the demand side, um, and hopefully we can find uh, balance pretty quickly. To clarify, the issue of balancing the market with acreage is not something specific to the walnut industry. You know, these types of things are normal in agriculture, but what's different about the situation in walnuts, though, is the acreage in California being affected is the only significant acreage across that the U.S. industry has. For a lot of growers, too, this is the only crop they grow. That's what makes this so tricky. We have 
growers that uh, have diversified. They may have almonds, pistachios. Um, certainly folks are, are putting in tomatoes right now for processing, as well as other row crop uh, type situations. Uh, the, the key to that is being able to have, you know, a diversity of, of options. Um, unfortunately, for so long, the walnuts were so profitable that so many people planted and not any single individual is at fault here, just the trend of the industry. Um, but if you take a look at what's happened with, with almonds, and I know my friends at the American Pistachio Association are, are looking at the same thing with pistachios based on what's in the ground right now. So we, we all have this challenge to some extent, finding the right balance. But if you go beyond the tree nut industry, this is something that, that everybody has uh, struggled with from time to time. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately, the markets are not very forgiving. Uh, as soon as you have too many sellers in the marketplace, uh, the thing that you start to negotiate on is price and you lose focus on quality, uh, product line, product diversification, uh, added value and things like that. And so we're working on that right now as a commission and a board to, to really find out what are the alternatives that we have out there to increase the, the value proposition. So fancy words for, you know, how can we get more for our walnuts? Um, we need to expand sales in retail. We need to expand it. And, and as you and I've talked before, um, you know, we need to get into the produce department and we're seeing some really good movement in that area. Domestically, the, in the United States, we increased sales last year, 28%. Need to continue that trend um, without doubt, uh, but then you look at restaurants and you look at food manufacturing and ingredient areas. Um, those areas have not really we've not as an industry invested a lot into that, and so we're in a position as a board and a commission to do that without having to uh, consider uh, a purchase order arrangement necessarily. So we can be inspiring, we can be promoting, we can mer we can help with merchandising. Um, and really get a, an increased footprint, whether it's in the store or in the restaurant or with the CPG companies, the consumer products, good companies that um, have all this new product innovation that's going on. Uh, we've put together an entire plan to address these issues. And um, while you know we need to find the balance on the supply side, I, I also firmly believe we need to work hard on creating higher value for the, the acres that do remain. And so the program that I just laid out to you is designed to do that on top of, by the way, uh, making sure that we continually deliver the best quality walnuts to the final consumer. And uh, everyone talks about rancidity having been a problem and, and some of the other issues. We're starting to address that. Our grades and standards committee has put in voluntary uh, guidelines for free fatty acids and peroxide value, uh, recommending that all shipments go out refrigerated after May. Um, the heat certainly is something that destroys the walnut, uh, it destroys the shelf life, it accelerates the shelf life, if you will. And so we want the consumers to have our products. We want them to eat them quickly. But if they you know, decide not to eat them within a, a short period of time, we certainly need to educate them to put it in, a, in the refrigerator and then have those walnuts there for as long as uh, they need and uh, give them the versatility um, and examples of how you can use the walnut. So we've we've got a lot of fronts uh, that we're attacking right now. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm optimistic that we will be able to increase consumption, but it is a slow process and we need our trading partners to, to be part of that. Uh, and then we need to have, make sure that our handlers are also in line with that. Um, the, the industry can't be built on a 25 pound box of, of bulk halves, right? And 
So we need to continually explore how to have uh, that extend the product line into different flavors, different forms. Um, and we see people doing that and, and we just need to continue to uh, provide incentives to do that. Tune in next week for part two of the California Walnut Board Industry Update. For My Ag Life, I'm Taylor Charlstrom. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. Smart growers know sustainability means managing pests at the same time they manage other priorities in their fields. Which is why smart growers know Certus Biologicals. For more than 20 years, Certus Biologicals has been the world's leader when it comes to biological pesticides, delivering proven solutions that keep operations sustainable and growing. Learn more at CertusBio.com. 24 states that challenge the Biden administration's waters of the U.S. rule are expected to file an amended complaint against EPA's new version of the rule finalized this fall. A July 2023 stay has been lifted on a lawsuit filed by the states after the EPA posted a new final rule that removed the term significant nexus from the WOTUS definitions, according to an order handed down by the U.S. District Court for the District of North Dakota. The initial lawsuit was filed in February and asked the court to throw out the Biden's rule, claiming the EPA and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers toppled the cooperative federalism regime by implementing a rule that is overboard and hopelessly vague. As a result of the Supreme Court's May 2023 ruling in Sackett versus EPA, the Biden administration was forced to make changes to the WOTUS rule. EPA published an updated final rule on September 8th. Although the updated rule removes significant nexus from the language, the states and other plaintiffs have until November 13th to file an amended complaint against the new rule. Agriculture groups have intervened in a case on behalf of states that includes the American Farm Bureau Federation. EPA and the Corps of Engineers will have until December 13th to respond to the amended complaints, as will any interveners on behalf of the agencies. The Supreme Court's May ruling in Sackett versus EPA essentially left the previous rule unenforceable. With Farm Bill programs expiring and certain coverages limited to the calendar year, Congress must decide between passing a new bill, which is an increasing unlikely option, or opting for an extension. The duration of this extension remains unclear, with possibilities ranging from a few months to one or two years, potentially influenced by the upcoming 2024 presidential election. Senior Vice President of Member Services and Governance Chris Galen with the National Milk Producers Federation explains the current state of dairy economics and an unexpected a turn for butter, which is a popular store shelf item. This has been a really tough year for dairy farmers so far. Uh, the price of milk really dropped. Last year, we had a great year and a lot of money was made by farmers. And then what happens usually is that high prices tend to cure high prices. We saw some increased production come on. And as a result, prices and just margins overall have, have really tightened up. Uh, the good news is it looks like we've reached the bottom and that margins will get better and prices for milk will get better as we get through the fourth quarter of 2023. Butter, which is a big driver of milk prices, that has reached record levels at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So that's a really good sign. Although production has begun to taper off due to high commodity prices, weather, the economy and other factors, prices are expected to level back out eventually. 
CoBank says the combination of high interest rates and a strong U.S. dollar is beginning to take a disproportionate toll on rural industries like agriculture, forestry, and manufacturing. Most international transactions are still conducted in dollars, and a strong dollar makes U.S. exports more expensive and imports cheaper. CoBank's Knowledge Exchange says that disproportionately hurts the backbone of the rural economy. The challenge for agriculture and other rural industries that rely heavily on global markets is their export partners simply can't afford to buy U.S. products. That, according to Rob Fox, knowledge exchange director. America's economic position relative to other countries has gotten much stronger than anticipated. The expectation that interest rates will remain high for the foreseeable future has also contributed to the stronger dollar. He says when you combine the export loss with a general slowdown in a U.S. economy, it's a double whammy for many businesses in rural America. The U.N.'s Food and Agriculture Organization's food price index averaged 121.5 points in September, basically unchanged from the value in August. Declines in the price index for vegetable oils, dairy, and meat offset increases in the sugar and cereal price indices. The dairy price index averaged 108.6 points during the month, down 2.6 points and 34 points under the same time last year. American Farmland Trust recently awarded more than $1 million to 110 farmers around the country through the Brighter Future Fund. This year, AFT received more than 1,500 applications from 48 states, an all-time high and almost double the number of applicants from last year. Priority was given to applicants who were starting their agricultural pursuits, veterans, women, or those with limited resources. Funds were allocated for both professional services and equipment or infrastructure costs with a focus area, including improving farm viability, accessing farmland, and adopting regenerative agricultural practices. AFT awards grants to farmers and ranchers to advance its mission to protect farmland, promote sound farming practices, and keep farmers on the land. The Brighter Future Fund was launched in 2020 to help farmers around the U.S. start, grow, and sustain farms despite a number of challenges. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.